Welcome to another episode of the Iowa Innovation Podcast, powered by NuboCo. This is the show where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. I'm Anthony Betters. And I am Rob Merritt, pinch hitting for Jessica, who was unfortunately ill this week. And so I got the chance to pop back into the studio and torment you once again, Anthony. But you didn't think I was going to be back this soon. I did not. Not not unfortunately. I I do love you. (laughs) I I appreciate that. (laughs) You know what? Uh, The timing actually works out really well because our guest this week is a former co-worker of mine. Uh, We have Zach Ducharski, executive editor of the Gazette. And I kind of think that the news right now, especially local newspapers, uh, it's such a weird time for media. And there's a lot of innovation that has to happen just to keep a local newspaper alive. So I know there's a lot of things that the Gazette has been doing to try and just seeing what works in today's media climate. And I'm really excited to to talk to Zach about some of the things they've been trying. And so we're going to talk about how ChatGPT could potentially change the evolution of how editing uh, could work in the newspaper. And also we'll talk about the inclusivity of the newspaper as well. And finally, we're going to ask, hey, are people still buying print newspapers today? And Mm. it turns out quite a few of them are. We still have people send stuff to NuboCo whenever we're in the paper. Like, we'll have one of our sponsors or somebody who's like, hey, we saw you in the paper today, and they send the clipping. Like, you can't do that with an online posting. That's one of the cool things. So, hey, with that, let's innovate, Iowa. Well, Zach, it's really cool to have you here. You and I actually have a long work history because uh, previous to my my life here at Nuboco, I used to be news editor at the Gazette. And before that, I was arts and entertainment editor at the Gazette. So uh, so we have many, many fun years of adventures uh, in the print news business together, which actually brings me to the first question we wanted to ask you, which is we live in an era right now where everyone's talking about, oh, you know, print news is dead. Nobody's reading print newspapers anymore. All the news is on, you know, people are reading stuff on their phones or whatever. Um, and yet I know that this is something that you believe very passionately in. Uh, and also the fact, the simple fact is people predicted the demise of the Gazette over a decade Long ago. Time ago. And yeah. yet here it is still going, still doing its thing. So I'm from your perspective, first of all, why is it so important to you to keep a print news product going in an age when so many people say that we've moved past that? Well, um, you know, I, I have to look no further than the, the morning phone calls that I still get of I don't have the internet. Um, and so, you know, folks still call. And, and so it's important. And I, I think that we have many platforms, and it's true that we have folks that are reading only on their phones. We have folks that are still at their desktop. You can see when work the workday still starts. That's, there's a, a jump in our web traffic. Uh, and then you have the, the print product that's still delivered uh, across all of the, the counties. And um, each one has its benefits. And, and um, you know, for me, print gives a different presentation and it's kind of a collated, collected, you know, snapshot in time. And uh, I'm a history dork. And so I appreciate the 
the ties to history and some of those judgment calls. And I, I think it's still important to do that or to, you know, to have those important moments in time. Um, you know, uh, we had fun planning. What would our front page look like if the, the Iowa women's team uh, had pulled off the national championship? We had a plan for that. Unfortunately, we didn't get to use it. But, um, you know, so we still have those those plans. And uh, print is still a really important piece of, of our organization. Uh, the majority of the revenue, uh, it's, it's print dollars and digital dimes or digital pennies and sub pennies, really. Um, and, and so it's an important piece of funding the journalism that we do. Uh, and so in order to have the local reporters, uh, it's important that we keep that viable. And it's something that a lot of people forget about sometimes that so many newspapers in this country have been bought up by large corporate chains, conglomerates. The Gazette is still locally owned. We are. And um, and I imagine that you're probably regularly, th- there's a lot of people saying, oh, you should sell the Gazette. You know, you should, you should. What, uh, why is it important for you to keep it local? I, I think, uh, first of all, local ownership is, is important in any industry. And I think especially so uh, in, in media, because the decisions that we make are are here. Uh, and so we're one of the very few uh, employee-owned newspapers. Uh, and, you know, we transitioned from family ownership um, into employee ownership uh, back in 2015. And, and that's an important piece because it allows us to make the decisions locally. It allows us to make community-based decisions. It allows us frankly, staffing levels that a lot of other organizations don't have. Yeah, that's good. And when it's talking about the history, because I remember the last time we had a conversation, I believe it was at the Gazette Business Breakfast. Mm-hmm. You kind of talked about your uh, when you were an intern and then to now where you are. Could you explain kind of your journey with the Gazette? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I started, um, I came out to school. I grew up in Chicago, came out to school, went to the University of Iowa, and never left. And so I spent a couple of years working at the Daily Iowan, um, and I uh, you know, wanted to, to pursue, I knew I wanted to go into newspapers, and so I you know, applied at both the, the Gazette and the Press Citizen. Uh, the Gazette uh, called me back first and uh, built that connection right away, and, and it was um, outstanding from that point on. And so I started as an intern uh, within the organization. And what, what, what year was that, by the way? Uh, so I started, um, it would have been uh, 2000. Um, Man. Yeah. And so. <laughs> I'm um, just saying it like that. <laughs> no, it's. That's that's how you know you're old. When, like <laughs> you said you know, it, I did. Zach. It doesn't feel that long ago, <laughs> yet it is. You know? um, and so I, I was laughing at the 1990s is almost 30 years ago, depending on which part of it's the 90s. It's crazy you're to about. think about. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the reasons I was asking because you have seen so much change in this industry to mm. go from starting. Uh, well, know, yeah, when I started at the Gazette, I worked in the Iowa City office, uh, so we had a separate edition. Um, and so not only, you know, did the Gazette print the Cedar Rapids Gazette, it had a, its own edition for Iowa City. Those days feel like ancient history. Um, I think I started with the Nokia dumb phone uh, <laughs> and I couldn't do video and video really wasn't even a, a thing. Uh, texting wasn't, you know, I, I think I had a pager when I was at the Daily Iowa just to be cool. Um, My but, cell phone in 2000 
was amazingly high tech because it could play Pong. <laughs> I, I remember I, Snake. Yeah, <laughs> I had. So are you talking about the Nokia like yep. brick phone? Yep, the brick phone. I yeah. Uh, so my <laughs> first phone I got when I was a junior in high school, and I remember like I did not want to get. I, I don't. I don't want to show any girls that I had this phone because the razor was around, and I, I had to remember I had to talk to one of my friends. I was like, hey, bro. Let me borrow your razor just so I can get this number from this girl because I think your phone is cooler than mine. <laughs> uh, but when you're kind of talking about that, like I'm curious of just what goes on in your brain and what goes on with the Gazette in the sense of the innovation from then and to now. Well, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, you constantly see just the the innovation that's happened on the the digital side with with web and uh, even some of the tools. You know, Flash was an important software mm. tool for a while. Uh, now that's you know, gone by the wayside, uh, the different forms of coding, you know, open source and all of those different pieces, uh, you know, it was proprietary web software and it was hard to build a website, you know, when we started and, you know, then WordPress comes and changes that. And there are all sorts of flavors of that. And, and where I'm going with that is not to be in the weeds, but, uh, it's important, you know, in order to storytell and be efficient with the storytelling, you have to weave a lot of those pieces together. Uh, and so you have to figure out the ways that are quickest um, and easiest and, and frankly, cheapest uh, in order to, to weave some of those experiences together. And so you do have to look at the different tools and you have to figure out, OK, can I do something with Flourish or, you know, is Tableau the right tool for data visualization? Um, and, and how do you weave those things so that as you know, your resources aren't out there redoing the same thing? A lot of what we gather you know, you're talking to people live. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to tell you the same story four times, you know, in the, the tool, you know, get, oh, well, now I'll digitally record this. Uh, you have to be doing all of that kind of on the fly. So whether you leave, you weave Otter AI into, you know, transcribing it so that mm -hmm. you have more time um, on the back end to, to weave that together, uh, you're blending a lot of those tools. And, and all of that goes in to the process uh, so that when you're asking questions or you have to think about how how am I going to structure the story that I'm trying to tell, that you can tell it in a platform and and still be efficient at writing a, a print version, uh, but then also trying to weave it in so that you're sharing an effective way of on the, on the, the phone. Uh, I remember that was one of the things really, I, I was on staff at the Gazette during a very interesting time of, of a lot of those transitions happening. And... You know, I remember that there was a very, there, there was a divide between a lot of the more old school staff members who were very used to the idea of, you know, my job is I am a writer and I write and that's all I do. Mm -hmm. Do not ask me to take a camera into the field or things like that. Uh, and then you had the, um, you had the staff members who were super quick to grab on a new tools and be like, Oh, I need to, uh, I need to make a video on site or I need to record myself or I need to you know, write a piece for online. But then also, you know, you had to learn how to tell a story in all of these different channels and different ways. And the people who figured out how to multitask and how to build up their skill sets so that they could do that were the ones who seemed to really thrive in that environment. Whereas the people who did not want to change and have been like, I've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. uh, they really struggled. And it was very interesting you, you seeing which side different people gravitated to. But um, th I mean, that's something that is, has been key, I think, 
to the Gazette surviving is that the Gazette has had to constantly roll with, well, you know, what if we try this? Or what if we do this? Or, you know, this is what used to work, but it doesn't work anymore. What if we tried this thing? And it's been a fascinating journey to watch that unfold. It, it has. And, and every day, I mean, I, th- I think it still is unfolding because even some of the tools that, you know, even if you're of digital, now there are new tools that you have to learn or, okay, how do I do audio or how do I incorporate these different pieces? Um, and so you're relearning. And I think really that mindset of having to reinvent yourself, I'm 43 and I figure in order to get to a retirement age, I'm going to still have to reinvent myself for the skills that I have three or four times uh, by the time I, I reach that. And so for the folks that are like, oh, I can only do this one thing, that really is limiting. And in you, you have to understand all of the different ways in which the tools, you don't necessarily have to be a, a pro at all of them, mm-hmm. but you at least have to have an understanding of, okay, I need to construct my thoughts or I need to construct my interview in a way that I'll do the least editing possible or that I, you know, that the backside time is, is the least so that I can be the most efficient. Uh, And frankly, it's also, you know, it it was interesting during the pandemic when you suddenly couldn't go talk to people uh, and have those conversations and zoom became this like instant tool. Uh, on one hand, it made our video strategy easier because you could suddenly just record people talking. Uh, and so that lowered the, the, the barrier, the tech barrier there. But at the same time, you know, you couldn't go watch an event or some of the events right. and some of those experiences that you would have suddenly weren't there. So you had to tell stories differently or, you know, covering a, a government meeting. The structure of government meetings has been the same for a long time. But to suddenly not be in person and to suddenly have to think about, okay, you were rethinking different parts of that process. And so in a lot of times, we've seen a huge amount of technical change. But at the same time, we've had some of these natural events that have also forced us to just change. And it was funny for me, um, you know, in the derecho, uh, we, we, when we went through that, um, by chance, uh, that was in the pandemic. Uh, we had had a meeting to check out our new office space the morning that the derecho rolled through. So for the first time in months, we just happened to be together in, in a physical space together. And I'm glad that we were. Uh, but then in the days after the, 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 uh, the derecho rolled through, we were printing flyers of where to get food because mm. some of the other technologies were... You know, I, I think cell batteries and some of that connectivity, uh, there were issues. And so in my mind, what was new, you know, and what was old, it kind of came full circle in some of those experiences that you're dealing with a derecho, a pandemic, and then, um, you know, having to, to flip it around and, and print was the way that people could still consume it if you, you tossed out info about the meal sites. So here's a question. Uh because I think people, even outside of the journalism industry, uh, they're also wrestling with this question. Um, as executive editor, how do you coach your team or encourage your team to embrace those kinds of innovations, new ways of doing things? You know, how do you get your team to not get locked into, well, this has been working, or, you know, we've been trying like four different new things and they didn't work. Can, I, can we not try this new one? I'm kind of tired of trying stuff. How do you 
push, or I shouldn't say push because you're not forcing it, but how do you encourage the, the mindset of let's keep trying new things. Let's give this a shot. How do you do that? I, I think first of all, you just have to, we learn uh, in, in journalism and pretty much in everything you learn every day. And so everything that we do is essentially an experiment, even if we've done it a hundred times, but also we need to approach our product like it's a blank canvas. And, you know, when you think about a newspaper, you think about a website, you have frames, but you also have ways that you can break it uh, intentionally. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, It gives you an opportunity to innovate in controlled ways. And so I think if you think about those things in advance and you think about, okay, what are all of the options of what could happen and how will I address option A through D? And if those things do happen, so that goes into the planning and the thinking about it. And, and then it's just the same. Agile is helpful. I mean, we use tools, our, our story board or our, our daily story budget, where we list all of the stories that we have, is Trello. And so you could update that on your phone, and you can update that, you know, if you're sitting at your desk, you can be anywhere, and you don't have to be behind a firewall. There's nothing proprietary about that. And so you use tools that people can access no matter where they are. And then build experiments and try these things, not in the heat of the moment, though, you know, a, a natural disaster is a time where you suddenly have to uh, innovate. Mm-hmm. Um, but try those and practice those things or just celebrate what you learn yeah. um, are all important lessons along the way. The cool thing about working in news is that there's always the next day's edition. That The challenging thing is that, you know, there's always the next day's edition, so it's hard to like step away. Um, and so you can't let that mechanical mindset take over. You have to find those ways to innovate. And that's usually in process or it's usually in some of the questions. And, and quite frankly, look around and be curious and just, you know, do we have to do it the same way every time? Sometimes that's just a natural kind of fun change of pace. Right. And so uh, fun fact. Went to Baylor University in Waco, Texas, and my first major was um, a communications specialist. Mm-hmm. And my first thought about being a communication specialist, I was like, I want to be on ESPN. You know, like that's what I want to do. I want to do the journal- journalism, get good stories out about sports, right? And so what Baylor did, they did a good job of doing job shadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a job shadow. Met this uh, young Af- African American lady. Um, she sat me down and we spoke uh, just about journalism as a whole. And so, I mean, technically, my my job didn't go into that that area. But I'm just curious in the sense of me being able to see her kind of sparked my interest and in wanting to be within that field, right? Mm-hmm. And so, how is the Gazette in the sense of being more uh, inclusive in the sense of getting the stories out about uh, people that might not look like? you know, yourself or anybody else that might be on that side? I mean, first of all, I mean, we've been trying to build, and this is, it's constant, uh, building kind of inroads into the community, um, whether it be informal relationships or informal relationships. And and sometimes it's in partnering with organizations. Yeah. Like, how do we go out and teach? Uh, we're working with Report for America, and one of the journalists there has a little service project that she does as part of, you know, teaching about STEM. Uh, and that's something that she does out there. Um, and then, you know, we've built advisory councils on some of the topics that we, you know, by design, you're then having regular conversations with people in different roles, uh, different 
um, you know, uh, just different professions and, and different, you know, with DEI and diversity, uh, different kind of demographics, uh, and, and trying to ask the questions and, and how does this impact you? Uh, and, and doing that reach. And I mean, that is ongoing work. Every time somebody changes a job or it changes a role, it right. can impact the, the ability to, to find those stories. Uh, and that is one of the things that when you talk about having a staff, uh, that's the most important thing to put the systems in place and, and, and check in and ask questions. How are we doing covering the, these topics? What do you think of the work that we're doing? Does it match what you would expect? Mm. Um, and, and, you know, we're, I'm excited. Uh, we're going to be in the back half of this year going through a, a grant project where um, and it's focused on our DEI and relationships with the community. And they're going to come and embed uh, and actually do community surveys uh, and help us uh, so that we are telling stories or we're you know, doing the best practices in terms of inclusiveness, because that that is a struggle. Um, yeah. And, you know, our, our newsroom isn't as diverse as it needs to be. Um, in certain things, we are diverse, but in other areas, we're not. And mm. and that is a constant, um, is a challenge. And, you know, and it's, I think one of the other things that media organizations have to do is understand, you know, how are we received and how have we done in the past? Because, yeah. um, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that those perceptions really matter in terms of um, how folks are, how comfortable they are in talking to you. Uh, and, and, you know, and you have to stop and think about that. And mm -hmm. those, in many of our interactions, you're interacting with people in chance encounters. Um, but then in other ones, it's systemic. Yeah. And in those systemic ones, you really have to reflect and think about, you know, what are we doing you know, to perpetuate uh, community challenges? What are we doing to perpetuate stereotypes? What are we doing to, you know, not necessarily understand an issue? Um, in the eyes of, uh, of others. And those are important questions. And a lot of that work happens behind the scenes, but that's also an important to have those relationships in an ongoing way, because every one of those stories, uh, yes. is an opportunity to fail or an opportunity to succeed. Yeah. I appreciate that, Zach. Um, and so just with me and within my household, like we're always, um, we always try to adapt to certain situations, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also be able to have just like those difficult conversations. Um, and so, of course, I can see that in the sense kind of being difficult conversation. But on the back end of that, it is not uh, it doesn't include exactly what we were kind of talking about. But I'm also interested once chat GPT came out. Yep. Were people the gazette like scared saying like, oh man, I'm gonna lose my job? Like, well, in full transparency, there are probably still some folks in the building that <laughs> don't know what Chat GPT is. Yeah, um, you want to explain that? But um, you know, and that's that's AI. Um, and and uh, you know, if I'm being very honest, I'm still learning ab about what it can do and what it can't do. And um, you know, I I have this pile of activities I want to do when I have free time. Um, and I never get that pile. Like I never work through the pile to the level that I want to, but, uh, you know, chat GPT, you know, to the, the idea about being efficient, I think it will be, it should help us do a lot of things or to, to find information 
and to certain processes that exist within journalism a lot faster. I think there's some places where it's still a ways off from being particularly helpful. So, uh, you know, in, in playing around with it, it seems good at the history types of things or the things that have happened and the things that we know where I, I think it still needs work is, you know, the, the tone or the, the things that are happening kind of live. Mm. So those first iterations or, you know, how things are developing. Um, and that's, that's still a major part. You know, we, we joke around a lot about, you know, being the first draft of history. Um, and so I, I think there is still a natural role and we we don't see those tools necessarily yet at the point where they'll fully replace a person. I think we would be foolish uh, to not be thinking about, you know, are there things that that can help us do better right. and be faster? Um, and and I think the other area, and I haven't spent a lot of time with this, but we're kind of in an era of disinformation mm. um, or kind of intentional. Fake news? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it'll be really curious to see its ability to kind of filter and, and weigh through that. And so, you know, I, I certainly won't, you know, turn over the, the reporting, the local reporting to chat GPT anytime soon, but I do think it, it has a lot of, uh, a lot of intrigue, um, and a lot of promise. And I think it goes back to what you were talking about before, where there are tools out there that make it possible for our journalists to do their job more efficiently. Uh, and you brought up Otter AI as an example. Yep. You know, when I was working as a journalist, I would have killed to have had Otter uh, AI. I mean, yeah. I don't know how many hours I lost, like playing a, a cassette tape back. Yes. Yep. That dated me. Like playing back a cassette tape of an interview that I did and typing out what somebody said, like typing the transcript so that I could then work on an article. And if I had had a program where I could just put the conversation in there and boom, there the go. entire thing's transcribed right there. I, I mean, I could have written so much faster. So that's an awesome example of using technology to help you write, but you're still writing. You're mm-hmm. just, you're just, it's just helping you with something. And I wonder if that's where chat GPT is going to go, that there's going to be things that it, it like, like you said, history, or it helps to round up something. Or if, especially if you have writer's block and you're like, I don't know how to come at this story. And maybe chat GPT is like, well, here's an example of how you could come at it. And the writer looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to take that angle, but I'm still going to write it. I, right. I feel like things like that might be where it'll be really useful, especially on deadline when you're trying to get something written quickly. But, you know, you think about how a reporter has to take quotes from people and figure out how to work them into the story in the way that makes sense. And I feel like that's where ChatGP is really going to struggle. It's not going to know how to structure that. Right. Uh, you know, like like read this three paragraph comment from a coach and be like that sentence that's the sentence that should lead the article like there's a certain level of human judgment that comes into that i mean i'm not saying it's impossible because ai does <laughs> it's amazing stuff yep. but it's going to be a while before ai learns to have that level of critical thinking and judgment that a journalist has and so i feel like you're right it's just going to be another tool in the toolbox that'll help you do your job better yeah i th- you know i think when you think about the archive or understanding the community um, you know th- that's an immense challenge that journalists have too is uh, you know in a lot of communities you know they move in uh, they're not necessarily from there uh, but the expectation is that you know the entire organization and every event that's ever happened there. Um, well, I, I do think like ChatGPT could be helpful for you know 
helping you learn about a topic um, or training it to, to be particularly helpful about local history. Uh, but to your point, Rob, I, I think it's going to be a while before it understands, you know, this happened in a city council uh, discussion and, you know, after three hours of public comment, the decision was made. I, I struggle to see how it's going to get that, that mm-hmm. smart, but it could help on the editing front as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of Anthony, going back to what you were talking about, it could be that ChatGPT could be taught to look for gender bias, mm-hmm. racial yep. bias in an article. Like, hey, you probably didn't mean to say this. That's a better way to say it. But this comment could be taken to mean this. Maybe you should reword it. Gosh. Or, wow, this article has a lot, of, you know, a lot of representation of this area and hardly any of this. Maybe go back. Right. You know, I almost, so yeah, it could be a really valuable tool for the editor as Mm -hmm. opposed to for the writer. Yes. And it's also interesting. just, I remember when ChatGPT first, uh, ChatGPT first came out, right? And I was talking to my stepkids. um, So they're, they're in middle school at the moment, right? And I was just letting them know, hey, this is a cool tool to where like, if you were to have like just a brain fog, this can help you out on some of your, uh, your information uh, in class. Um, And it's interesting of how, uh, different schools are approaching uh, the scenario about ChatGPT. As either if they want to actually implement that, or if they actually want to say no, like this is plagiarism. You know, like we shouldn't do that. And so when I think about that, I think about the the newspaper, mm-hmm. and I think about just okay, hey, if I'm an editor, I'm gonna make this easy for myself. I'm just gonna ask ChatGPT a question that I might have asked somebody, and see if what will populate. This is gonna make my job a a ton of a lot easier, right? And so how can you be able to differentiate, uh, I might have said that wrong, <laughs> on exactly uh, what a bot might sound like versus actual human? Have you seen that come into, into your office? Yeah, so uh, some media companies are exploring with this in different ways. And so the, the thought of AI being out there, um, th- there's a company that would actually write sports like game stories mm-hmm. uh, using AI. Uh, and when I, you know, and it's a decision that we thought about, you know, is this something that we would want to do? Um, but I think it opens up a Pandora's box of, of other questions uh, in terms of, you know, a machine writing a story based mm-hmm. off of essentially structured data. Um, and, and then if you had 30 of those in a night, would they all read the same? Or would you basically be subbing out like, verb or you know would right. you know would a difference between a final score of two points have you know a list of eight verbs that you could pick from and then a blowout you know win would be you know a different set of verbs um and but i, I when i read it i could still read a machine um and and so that's a i think it's it all goes down to the uses and what are you trying to achieve um and and i think it can be helpful in some ways um but then if you know, if our job is to be storytellers, um, and all you're doing is like replacing the storyteller with, you know, a machine that reads the same story over and over again, you probably should be doing something different with your time to begin with, right? <laughs> um, and so, ultimately, we didn't choose to use that, but I mean, you see that in business reporting too, where it's like earnings reports or you know, just those, you know, this closed higher today, and generating that automated text mm-hmm. that could be a script or something like that. Um, I mean, we've been seeing that increasingly used, um, but not necessarily, you know, I think ChatGPT opens up um, 
the artificial intelligence to a new level that that is more conversational. And I mentioned just before we started recording, I'm teaching for the first time, and there are those discussions um, at at the university about okay, what do we do with this? And um, I was in the Kirkwood presidential interview, uh, and that was a question that came up just in one of the interview panels of what is your what are your thoughts on you know, ChatGPT? And it was interesting just to even see from an academic perspective, is that plagiarism? Is mm. it a tool to help? And there were mixed opinions even in that group. Right. So it, it's uh, very, very current. So, <laughs> so what makes me think about ChatGPT a little bit, I know we were talking about it a lot, um, but it makes me think about when the calculator first came out, mm -hmm. right? And then you have people that might be like, oh, that's cheating. You can't use a calculator <laughs> to do math, right? You should be doing that by hand. Let me show your work. Right. Right. And so that, that just makes me think about, you know, just the sense of the world is going to always uh, be innovative and is always going to um, just change. And so we see the fact of you hop on that train or you don't. Right. right? Because regardless, that train is going to keep going. You know, and so that that is super interesting. Well, and to me, it's my moment of, you know, uh, a lot of journalism organizations misread the Internet when that became a thing in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And what is the role there? And so my moment of paranoia is to make sure that I understand ChatGPT so that it isn't the, oh, well, we miscalculated the impact of the Internet type of an experience. Yeah. Um, because to be an effective leader, you want to keep your eye on, you know, where are things going? Uh, and uh, for me, I, you know, I, I think that we created a couple decades of problems within journalism about the idea of free content, not free content and paywalls and all of this other stuff um, that that have taken years to kind of work through. Oh, there's people online who still refuse like they they get angry whenever somebody posts something on Facebook and then they try to read it and it's behind a paywall. Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> How dare you? And, you know, it. They're, and and if you and then if somebody says something like, well, you know, journalists need to get paid, they're like, that's not my problem. You're restricting information. And it's like, I mean, that's a very it's, legit, you know, that debate's been going on for decades now and still going. Yeah, no, I, I, I laugh and cringe at the same time when I look at the Reddit threads around and people <laughs> paste in the entire body of the article. Um, but, you know, I, I think you know, my point on that is that there is a cost to gathering information. Uh, and, you know, just like I, I could get milk, um, you know, I can't walk into Hy-Vee and drink milk uh, right from the, you know, the gallon in the aisle of the store. And so when it's I put together, I dare you do that next time, though. I don't think so. Now that they've got those guards, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we were talking before about trust, though, and, you know, and, you know fake news and all that. But, um, but actually, you know, we seem to live in an era right now where things are really polarized. And, yes. you know, and it was always, I mean, I, even when I was at the Gazette, it was like a joke. It was a running joke that if you got constant phone calls and complaints that, you know, you're a right wing rag and then you get the same amount of calls of you're just a liberal mouthpiece, then you knew you were Do doing job. your job. Mm -hmm. And if you got more liberal calls than conservative calls, you're like, oh, should we, maybe we're starting to, you know, but if they both, if both sides were mad at you, then you're like, we're nailing it. But it seems like it's gotten so much nastier 
in the last decade. And it's gotten to the point where just even saying the media is like an instant people get, it's like a, it's like a trigger word for people. They, right. you know, the media is this big, scary, faceless, horrible corporate thing that's coming for everyone. Um, how hard is it to, I don't know if I'd even say maintain trust or rebuild trust. Uh, how do you approach that at the Gazette in terms of keeping people basically trusting the Gazette as an institution that is telling the truth when they report as opposed to this nasty, faceless, scary media thing? Good no, question. you know, and, and every day it's hard. And, there, you know, there are folks and, and it has gotten nastier uh, than it was, um, you know, you know, if you were to put an exact date on it, uh, somewhere early 2010s, um, I think it started to get nastier. Um, and it is, it's very divisive. But uh, first of all, I think it's important to remember there are different layers of media and there are different goals uh, that the organizations do. Um, you know, with local media, we're trying to cover our communities or the region that we are in. Um, you know, we don't have endless resources deployed in Washington, D.C. to watch everything back and forth each day. Uh, we do have syndicated services that we get content from, but the majority of our bodies are all here. We don't have anybody in D.C. Uh, we have a couple that cover the state house, uh, and then everybody else is local. Um, and, and really conversations and being open uh, and building those relationships at my level really matter uh, because there are a lot of uh, misunderstandings and assumptions uh, and, and they're dangerous. And in an era of polarization, you know, there could be no ill intent, but if somebody doesn't understand the processes in which we use or, or which we go about our work, they can assume very ill intent. And so it's that dialogue or the, Hey, why did you do this? Or yeah, this came across a little strange and making sure that you maintain those conversations at a more system level. Uh, there are projects that are out there now dedicated to, you know, helping us you know, to your point, Anthony, show your work mm -hmm. um, and explain why did you do certain things or why were these voices included or how did you go about your analysis? Uh, and that's something that we'll continue to get more and more in. The Trusting News Project um, is one of those projects. And I mean, it is kind of, you know, build explainers, explain who you are, you know, what is your background? What, what do you focus on in the topics that you cover? What are you personally interested in? Disclose those things. Um, and so it really is about helping people understand that information. Um, and it, it is, it's tough. And, you know, the transparency, but, you know, in democracy, if we're not able to have conversations when you have differences of opinion, it's very difficult to move the society forward. And so for us, we've got to find ways that still do that. Um, and, and I mean, that comes into play about how do we convey political reporting? What are those triggers to different people that set them off? Mm. Um, because there are, there are words that, you know, if you're a conservative and you read, you know, Republicans and it's a gross generalization, that's a trigger to you just as much as on, on the flip side of that, always blaming the governor for something that went wrong when maybe the governor had nothing to do with it. And so if you're sloppy in your writing, and in your reporting, you know, that's going to lead to a bias. And so that is, um, it's become immensely more difficult than it had been before. 
Um, but I, I think that that's crucial uh, to to where we are right now, just as a society. For sure. And to, I guess to kind of switch gears here. So um, I was kind of just looking up the Gazette and just where you all are placed, right? Mm-hmm. And so I know you all just aren't here in Cedar Rapids, correct? Yep. And so I saw that you all, of course, like buy out like maybe smaller newspapers. So could you tell me where, like, oh, I guess how many locations the Gazette's in yep. and also why you buy out maybe smaller newspapers? Because that might seem for some people is that, oh, like they're trying to be a monopoly. Like right. what are they right. trying to do type thing? Could you explain that? Yeah, no. Um, so we are based in Cedar Rapids and have been, and we have uh, reporters in Des Moines and we have uh, a group that work uh, from home now uh, in Iowa City. But we've been... Uh, as part of our organization, we've purchased several uh, community papers. Uh, so Washington, Mount Pleasant, and Fairfield are part of the Southeast Iowa Union, uh, and we acquired them back in 2016 and started the the, the union in 2019 uh, as kind of a way to keep uh, the, the papers viable in those communities. So four days of a week, they are uh, a regional newspaper, and then one day a week, each town still has their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, over the past um, year, year and a half, uh, we've purchased uh, newspapers in Iowa County, uh, as well as kind of northern Keokuk um, as well, uh, and, and in Henry County. And so New London, um, the Clarion Plainsman, which is in the Pekin School District, and then Williamsburg, Marengo, uh, Belle Plaine uh, are all kind of communities that we've acquired. And our view of that is to maintain small community media organizations. So it's not about becoming uh, a monopoly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about preserving uh, information in those small towns. Uh, and, you know, when we acquired uh, some of the more recent ones, I mean, it's a labor of love where one or two people are putting together the entire product. Um, and so for us, it's about keeping them going and you know, having some of those, those tools and the systems in place uh, to, to modernize. Um, and so in each of those, uh, each paper had a little bit different, but you're putting in some systems of storytelling or, you know, what used to be, you know, somebody driving frantically around all of the communities and putting out a weekly paper, you're trying to put some systems in place so that there are supports. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, community media is crucial. Uh, and and keeping that going and having people in place to ask questions is is crucial. And so there have been several academic studies that, you know, when a, when a town loses its local media, it's less efficient. Um, and it costs more to do business or account, the government you know, keeping government going costs more. And so for us, it's about keeping things going. Uh, you know, I would be, I think it's been beneficial to our organization to also understand at a very small level, like at a small scale, how these pieces work. Um, you know, we've been a regional paper for a long time, uh, but it's been important to kind of understanding some of those more nuanced pieces uh, and then having businesses in these communities, to me, it helps us understand the region even better. Right. And so, uh, and I, I totally forgot the name. You said Southeastern. Southeast I- Iowa Union. Yes. Yep. And so in that area, you explained there's Mount Pleasant, mm-hmm. Bearfield, Washington, yep. and. Uh, well, those are the, the three okay. main 
Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And so the only reason I say that and just to, to plug in. So we have uh, what we call the community partnership program that's mm-hmm. out there in that area that, that involves those communities. Um, and so if you might not know what a community partnership is, it's more so of Nuboco going into those communities to help their ecosystem because they're small rural towns, yep. um, just like you all, just to make sure that the stories are being told. We making we're making sure that those rural areas or keeping go, keep Connected. going and keeping yep. up with the times. Yep. Um, and so, so that, that's good stuff. And there's one thing that's popped in my mind. Are people still driving around throwing papers out there? So we their, have their vehicles. <laughs> we do have that. And, and, and that's actually one of the challenges that we have in the workforce side of things uh, is that as you start to see these really low level of unemployment, you know, the number of people that want to go out in the middle of the night or early morning uh, and sling papers, mm-hmm. uh, there are fewer and fewer of those oh, folks available. Uh, and to that idea of, you know, it, that is a significant cost. And when you build the paper routes and, and things like that, th- there are some true pressures uh, t- to that. And so whether you're using, you know, tech to design a smarter route, as you see, like the giants Amazon and others do, that's a piece of it. But yes, there are still folks doing it. I wish there were more. Yeah. Um, but you know, it there are some really uh, there are some real challenges there. For sure. Um, and so you say as you innovate, um, and if that of course the paper itself is still beca- uh, still a thing, that there'll be robots roaming the streets throwing newspapers. I, I was wondering where you were going with this. Now I know. Yep. No, I, uh, I was trying to come full circle. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? I would uh, certainly, uh, if, the, if there was a way to deliver them more affordably, uh, <laughs> that would be fantastic because uh, the cost of that is not going down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, one of the other options that a lot of papers, and, and we use this in some of the communities, is the mail. Uh, and I think there are varying opinions about how effective that is. Yeah. Um, and since would I that th- even be possible to do same day delivery in the mail? Not everywhere. And mm. then that becomes, you know, that's a driving decision of whether people want the product or not. Mm. Um, and so there, there are a lot of nuanced decisions that the. Pro- I mean, it's a it's a weird business model. Uh, in some ways, it's not just, you know, wanting information. It's can you get it to me quickly enough and at a. a you know, a price that I'm willing to pay uh, to get that information to my door. You know, there are very few places that, you know, for a dollar or two will still come deliver. I mean, when you deliver a meal using DoorDash or Uber Eats or any of those, you're paying more than a dollar or two dollars of a a service fee to have that done. And when you look at a newspaper, it's still uh, pretty affordable on that scale. Well, let's end on this. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the challenges yep. that are faced in the journalism industry and uh, all the things that are that you have to deal with that uh, are very difficult and all of the innovations you've had to go through in order to, to deal with them. But what's the, what's the passion? What's the love that keeps you coming back to this job every day? What is it that makes you love what you do? And more importantly, what makes you think that journalism and community news, like you said, is so vital and important to keep going? You know, when I first started, I thought I would, you know, be here for a couple of years and get to the big cities. Uh, and that would have been the worst mistake that I could have made if I ended up at the Chicago Tribune or, you know, one of those places. Um, I have loved uh, the impact that I can go someplace. Um, we have a blank canvas in how we can impact the community. Uh, Saturday night, I spent time 
uh, with high school kids giving, you know, the Excellence in the Arts Awards uh, and the level of celebration, you know, that, that each family, whether they were there because they're singers or painters, uh, it, it was truly just a refreshing opportunity to celebrate uh, with them. Uh, and then, you know, you can flip it around and challenge the community on issues and to, to, do we present the best version of ourselves? We have an opportunity to do that every single day in a unique way. We have an opportunity to also ask questions to people who others don't get to, um, and that's important. And and there's a, you know, I think in terms of you know quality of life and making the region a livable place, that's a unique way that we can influence that. And it's still a heck of a lot of fun uh, to to figure out. Okay, how can we, you know challenge the status quo and make it better mm, what a heck of an answer there mm. hey I, I appreciate you zach i appreciate it thanks yeah. for having me and thanks for coming on zach it's uh it's always fun to interview a former boss on the air <laughs> <laughs> but uh no it's really good to see you and yeah it's it's a fascinating story what's going on in journalism right now so thanks for thanks for sharing it with us oh thank you sure appreciate thank you, you man Thanks so much to Zach for coming onto the show. Uh, if you want to contact Zach, you can reach him on social media uh, through the Cedar Rapids Gazette's website, uh, thegazette.com. And uh, yeah, I, I can tell you from experience, Zach's inbox is massive. I've actually looked over his shoulder a few times. He gets a lot of messages. So if he doesn't get back to you right away, just keep trying. Yes. And also, if you love the show, please subscribe and leave a review. A good one. I'll keep, I'll keep saying that every time. And also, you can visit our blog at nubo.co slash blog to find key takeaways summarized and detailed. This podcast is produced and distributed by Upload Media Group in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information, go to uploadmediagroup.com. Finally, we would love it if you would consider a donation to NuboCo. Your contributions to our nonprofit help us continue to serve innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, visit nubo.co slash donate. Hey, so Anthony, in like uh, less than a month now, Entrefest is coming up. It'll be my first time. Uh, I don't know how many times you've been, Rob. Oh, man, I'm not sure. I, uh, I think my first Entrefest was 2019. And funny enough, uh, at that Entrefest, they specifically had a session that was on AI and how AI was actually starting to generate art. And I remember there were a lot of people at that session who were like, what? AI? There's... It seemed like a fun little gimmick in 2019. So it's just funny that now, four years later, we're talking about it like it's this major impact on like everything. Yeah. And but, gonna... uh, but that's just it. I mean, there's stuff you see at Entrefest people are talking about years before it becomes like mainstream. So, you know, if you kind of want to get that early heads up on some of the latest innovations or latest trends going on uh, in entrepreneurship, business, Entrefest is where you're going to find it. And, uh, you know, the thing is, Entrefest is great for business professionals at any level. It's good for nonprofit community leaders, educators, teachers. Basically, uh, there's a lot of people who will find something at Entrefest that they're going to learn from. And it's been around for 15 years now. So if you haven't oh. been to it yet, you need to come. Yep. And also, we'll, have, we'll be doing a live podcast with a special guest. That is very true. That is very true. This show will be on uh, on the stage at the Englert, which is going to be really cool. I will not be on the stage at the Englert because Jessica will be back by then. But I got to tell you, I have really, really enjoyed getting to pop back into the studio uh, for one episode. So uh, thanks for letting me come back in and uh, hang out with you for a little bit because this has been really fun. Of course, I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs>